It's Monday, July 1st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today, the one and only Ron Gross. Thanks for being here. Always a pleasure, Chris. Literally. So, as I mentioned last week, uh, two things. This yeah. is going to be a short week for Market Foolery because we got the holiday coming up. So, just an episode today and tomorrow. Big July 4th coming up. Yeah. And uh, and I'm not here. I'm already. It, it, hopefully, Literally. <laughs> hopefully, by the time you're hearing this, I'm already on Cape Cod. Are you enjoying yourself, do you think? Hopefully. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> We're taping this a little early. Um, but I, I wanted to get you in here because this, this really seems like a good natural break for any investor. We're at the halfway point of 2019. And we're going to dip into the full mailbag because we got some great questions. But I, I am curious. This really does seem like a good time for any investor to just sort of take a step back and say, OK, it's in the midway point. How am I doing? Like yeah. Almost to the extent that it's possible, look at your portfolio with a fresh set of eyes. Yeah, I I like to do that two times a year. Now, because I'm an investing nerd, I do it daily. (laughs) But I don't recommend that for the average person. No, but two times a year is is a really nice time. You you can step back, you take a look at your portfolio, and you just need to see a few things. Like sometimes, for example, cash can have accumulated. Um, For example, I uh, put a piece of my 401k into cash. Um, every month, and then I deploy it. But sometimes I forget, and the cash can build up. And and you really don't want cash sitting idle unless that's a strategy that you're you're particularly pursuing. Um, so you want to keep an eye on your cash balance. Um, you want to see if any positions have become oversized, because first of all, that's a good problem to have. It probably means something is just skyrocketing to the moon, and it's just you know just killing it. Um, but you may be unhappy with how big that has become as as part of your portfolio, the allocation size, and and perhaps it's time to pare back. Uh, another thing, a third thing is perhaps you've been hanging on to a loser a little bit too long in the hopes that it would come back, and 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 hope is is a is is a bad strategy when it comes to investing. You, you have to have a good reason, a good rationale. Um, we always suggest writing down your investment thesis. It's in in the case of a, of a loser that you're really unhappy with. It's always good to go back and revisit your investment thesis if if, if you have written it down. Um, so those three things: maybe a, a company has become too large, maybe a company is just not turning around as hoped, or maybe cash is accumulating. Two times a year, perfect. And two of those things, I think, tie nicely into something we talk about from time to time, which is having a watch list. You know, it's it's great to have a portfolio diversified with a bunch of stocks, but you also want to have a few stocks that are on a watch list so that if the cash balance builds up, or you do look at something and say, you know what, I've looked at, I've looked back at why I bought this company. The thesis is broken. I'm going to get rid of this. Maybe you time the sale uh, if it's at a loss. You time it uh, to yep. be advantageous from a tax position. But yeah, that's that's really why you want to have a watch list. I love that idea for sure. And don't just take your watch list for granted. If you put a company on your watch list a year or two years ago, don't just assume nothing has changed. You know, give it a once over twice um, to make sure that you still like that company and your thesis, whatever it is, still holds. Um, but I always have a watch list. I'm always, you know, hoping to buy that next thing and having enough cash to buy that next stock, or as you said, maybe selling something and replacing it with something better. Idea being, you always want to have your favorite stocks in your portfolio at any given time, and 
this is the perfect time to make sure that's the case. What is the first number you look at when you're looking at a company? Because and, and let's just put aside the stock price because I I think that's you can't help but see that number just when you type in a ticker. For me, it's the market cap. I, that is the first thing I look at because one of the ways I think about investing for the long haul is what is the market cap today? What do I think it can be, particularly relative to competition, that sort of thing. So for me it's market cap. What is it for you? Market cap is definitely, I don't know, top few things. Um, I would just, you know, I can get a look at a glance of a, of a tear sheet and just look at a, a few things like boom, right? Is the company profitable? Is there net income? But more, even more importantly, I'll look at a cash flow metric like EBITDA. Are, are they producing cash flow? Um, what's the market cap? Um, what size of a company are we talking about here? So perhaps what what's a revenue number look like? And and those those three things right there can can tell you a lot about a company. Before we get into the mailbag, looking ahead to the second half of the year, is there anything in particular you're going to be watching? Whether it's an industry, um, a particular company, anything? This may not be satisfying to many listeners because it gets a little bit. In the economic weeds, but for macro really is what I'll be looking at um, for the second half of this year, specifically interest rates and GDP or economic growth, because that's going to tell me a lot about what I need to know about individual companies and how their growth rates are looking. And if, if God forbid, we we're, we're going to fall back into a recession, which it does happen, so you know, sometime we will. Um, but but how's that all looking? And kind of alongside that. How's the trade war situation shaping up? Is this, is are we going? Or you know, six months from now, are we going to look back and be wow, this has been a real thing, or will we say that was just a blip and it's gone? Um, so mostly macro things for me. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool dot com. Question from Ryan Merkel in Staten Island, New York. Ryan writes, I'm a new investor, love the podcast and the services you provide through Stock Advisor and Rule Breakers. With the market doing really well since Christmas Eve 2018, a trade war hovering over us, a slowdown in the economy, and in my opinion, an uncertain future economy, is it a good time to take some profit? I've heard that once you hit 15% profit, you should take some off the table. I'm a long-term investor, but what does the term long-term really mean? Any guidance would be greatly appreciated. I'm curious about the number he wrote because I've heard you hear all manner of things, but I've heard investors say, "Hey, if I make fifty percent profit, or uh, and this is my father-in-law's move that has worked <laughs> that has worked out well for him, I should say, is if he doubles his money with a stock, he'll sell half and just sort of roll with the rest and redeploy the cash in in another way." But uh, do you have any sort of guidelines that you? Live by because you're. I know you're a valuation yeah. guy. See that that's kind of what I live and die by. So I don't have a standard number. Because a company could go up fifteen percent, but have another you know hundred percent to go over the next five years, and and I want to be all in there. I don't I don't want to start paring it back. So for me, it's looking at each individual company and assessing. Um, is this too big a position? Is the valuation stretched such that I probably won't earn the rate of return that I want to earn, especially relative to the market? And if that happens, then I'll pair back. But there's no like standard. Oh, fifteen percent time to pull back. It's just it's just not how I think about stocks. In terms of long-term investing, to Ryan's question, how do you think about long-term? Because I think, in general, here at the Motley Fool, uh, we define long-term. In a much longer time horizon than, say, the average person on Wall Street does. 
Like I literally think about it as forever, except maybe retirement things will change and I'll have to change my allocation um, from an equity bond perspective or an equity cash perspective. But for really long periods of time, that doesn't mean I'm going to hold every single company for really long periods of time, but I'm going to remain almost fully invested for really long periods of time. And I'm not going to try to time the market and move to cash in any significant way. There are certain times where I feel things are stretched, where I'll be more in cash than others, but I'm not really pulling money in and out of the market. If you know, statistics show that if you're not in the market for the best five days of any given period of time, a year, two years, five or ten, you you underperform unbelievably versus if you had stayed in investing. And that's only if you miss five days or so. So I I'm happy to take the ebbs and flows of the market and live through them, um, not try to be smarter than the market, try to buy good companies, make good investments, but not try to be smarter than the market and just hold on for, I mean, literally decades. And particularly if you're a new investor like Ryan and you're younger, it can be a little hard when you're starting out to think in terms of 10 years, 20 years, that sort of thing. But really, overwhelmingly, that's how younger investors should, and I don't know how old Ryan is, but I'm just going to assume he's I'm just going to make the safe assumption he's younger than you and me, which I think is a really safe <laughs> right. Every, assumption. Most people are. Um, uh, agreed. The only thing you have to worry about, in my opinion, is to make sure that you don't have cash in the market that you're going to need over the next two or three years. If you do that, then you can stay invested. And even if the market tanks like it did in 2008, 2009, you can just stay patient perhaps invest more money if you have it, but just stay patient. Don't pull money out, because you don't need that money. It's going to come back. It historically always has. It's a great point. And uh, you know, I was just thinking of uh, last week when Dan Klein was here in the studio. We were talking about the, uh, the Caesars-El Dorado merger. And uh, Dan was you know, very clear about saying he really likes the deal, and he really thinks it's going to pay off. Ten years down the line, like he was basically like, "Yeah, I think this is a great deal." He ticked off all the reasons he thought it made sense, and he, but he, in the next breath, said, "Yeah, the next couple of years, that's not going to show up. Right. They're going to be spending money. They're going to they're going to have to merge. You know, do all the things that come with the merger, including rebranding, etc." But. You know, five, ten years down the line, I really love this deal. So that's awesome. I love that kind of thinking. The only caveat there is. Over a ten-year period of time, its total rate of return would have to be equal to or better than the opportunity cost of what I could have put the money into else, elsewhere. So it's going to have to earn me, you know, whatever it is, eight to ten percent on average for that ten-year period. And when I look back at it, say, okay, that was a great investment. If it's only earned me twenty percent over that ten-year period, it was probably a mistake. Question from Caroline Smith, who writes, I've heard folks on your podcast mention how Wall Street has an inherent conflict of interest when they issue analyst reports and price targets for stocks. Where should I go to get information I can really trust when I'm doing research outside of The Motley Fool, that is? Thanks very much. Uh, great question. And you know, I'm reminded of a phrase that I always associate with our friend and colleague, Uncle Joe Mager, when he talks about, not necessarily Wall Street analysts, but talks about company executives, uh, as he puts it, talking their own books. Sure. You would expect the CEO of any company to talk up their business. And it's not to say that analysts on Wall Street don't net, you know, are being disingenuous when they say, this is why I like this company, this is why I don't like this company. Uh, but yeah, there are, there are absolutely conflicts of interest when 
analyst from Wall Street firm X is saying, "I love this stock," and meanwhile, the analysts, you know, uh, on the sell side are, are really pushing the stock as well. But anyway, to yes. the question that Caroline posed, where do you go for research? So I personally go directly to the company documents and do my own research. So, but that's easy for me to say. That's what I do all day long. If if you're someone who wants someone else's opinion and you don't want to go to the primary documents and and do your own work. I always start with just just a straight out Googles. Just start Googling the company. You'll find articles from whether it's Forbes or Fortune or the Wall Street Journal um, from folks that don't have a conflict. They're they're either analysts or or even financial authors um, from the financial press, and they will give you um, thoughts and opinion. And even if it's not opinion, at least it will be facts about how a company is doing. Um, obviously, the fool, as 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 the question says, but we do have competitors that don't have conflicts. I'll, I'll throw out one because I'm not in the business of helping our competitors. But but Morningstar is a company that that we trust around here um, to look at a research report um, and to get advice that that is not conflicted. It's not free. It's expensive, and not everybody wants to pay for for that level of research. Um, but there are some folks out there that do independent research, and those are the folks that are typically not. Associated with an investment bank, I'll just add that if it's an industry that you're particularly interested in, uh, the trade media, you know, beyond the the Wall Street journals and and you know Fortune, Forbes, etc., um, if you start digging into what trade media covering a given industry are writing about, you can really get into stuff that's never going to see the light of day um, in the Wall Street Journal. Um, and I, for me, it's always enlightening to look at the restaurant trade publications because you, <laughs> you 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 almost hear about stuff before it really makes its way to uh, the mainstream media. Excellent point. And in fact, a lot of the trade media is free because it's advertising supported. So you could get your hands on a lot whether it's telecom or, or food or restaurants, uh, lots of different industries, a lot more information than you would actually think you can for free. Uh, last thing before we wrap uh, up Fireworks? You're a fan of fireworks, aren't you? Sure, I'm, I'm, just, sure. I'm just looking ahead to later in the week. Do you have like one that stands out? Did you ever go to like New York City? Like, oh, I'm 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 getting the fireworks that are over the Statue of Liberty. Did you ever do that as a the, kid? The Macy's fireworks um, display was always kind of a. Th- I'm a New Yorker, so the girl growing up, uh, what was I? I wouldn't necessarily head over to down to the city to see it, but always sitting in front of the TV. I remember as a kid. Uh, Lots of times focusing on on what Macy's had to offer. You? Um, yeah, not not quite as big as that in Maine when I was growing <laughs> up. Um, but you know, fireworks are just it's it's just always fun. And anytime you can be elevated, anytime you get the opportunity to be, even if you're just a few floors up in an apartment building, makes a nice difference. I've actually come over here to Fool Headquarters a few times. Because you go to the fifth floor balcony, and assuming it's not cloudy or, or anything like yeah. that, you get a nice view—not just of the ones over the mall in DC, but you know, over in Maryland, all over the place. Awesome! Who doesn't love fireworks? Exactly. Ron Gross, always good talking to you. Thanks Thank for being you, Chris. There. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed for the newly married. Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.